0: Somebody's singing already, I love it. Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church today. Let's begin by entering into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you again today and thank you for all your good gifts. We thank you first and most importantly of all for your son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, remained God, went to the cross, died for our sins. On the third day, you raised him from the dead so that whoever believes, and your son simply believes, will never perish but have eternal life. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of your word in the Bible. We thank you for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for one another that you've brought around us, a body for us to worship together, to praise you together, to learn together, to support one another. And we thank you, Father, for all these good gifts. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand and in worship with us. Good morning again, everybody. All right, this is going to be the last time this morning before the end of the message where I'm going to be able to see you. The reason for that is, is that I no longer have, I don't even know the name of it, but the glasses where you can go from being nearsighted to farsighted. What is it? Progressive. 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 Okay, I'll have to remember that. Let's see. Progressive. Who's progressive? Anyway, um... It's another casualty of my new puppy. I was out walking him, I bent over, I had the glasses in my pocket, and pff, it's gone. So I thankfully have these so I can see far away, but now I take them off so I can read. Good morning again, everybody. The missionary organization, or actually the missionary, singular, uh, that we're featuring this month is Pastor Kingsley Emaniki. He's visited us last last May, and uh, he specializes, of course, in his native Continent, which is Africa. And this year he's got a couple of trips planned already um, to Nigeria, which is his home country, and Zambia. Zambia, Zambia. He's also put on the list, he says, make sure you put on the list South Florida. So he's planning to come visit us as well. Again, for those of you that like maps, we've got uh, that map of Africa. And here's Nigeria, all right? Here's Zambia. Remember last year he visited South Africa. He's been on the east side as well um, to Kenya. Um, in Tanzania, I believe. So please keep him in prayer for these different uh, missionary trips he's taken in this, this year, 2020. As a reminder, we're going to have a brief outreach today, about 10 minutes after the service ends. I promise you that it won't be more than 20 minutes or so. So be careful about those promises, shouldn't I? Because it's usually more than that. But I'm going to try to keep it to that so that you can uh, move, move into the rest of your day, whatever you've got planned. I want to mention this morning... Um, our youth group, which we just started. We had our first event last Friday. I thank you all who prayed for that. Um, We had a lot of kids there. Unfortunately, we didn't have the kids from Deerfield Middle that we wanted to see there, but we had a lot of other kids. It was a great time. One of the reasons it's such a great time, by the way, is our new youth group room. You should check it out. It's right before you leave. Okay, It's the last door on the right. All right, please poke your head in and take a look at it. It's very, very impressive. And the reason is, is because our, our youth um, person, Dakota, has done a ton of work in there and has put in their new things. Kids had a blast. There's foosball in there. There's ping pong. There's even a station for video games. So they all have fun in there. And then we'll bring them into the chapel and teach them about Jesus Christ. So, um, but, so please check that out. Please keep that in prayer. Is Dakota here? Well, even if he's not here, all right, he'll be either on live, we of course broadcast live on the internet, we have lots of people that come and see us that way, so i just like to give him, in his presence or absence, a nice round of applause for all the work he's done. <laughs> Finally, we are about to go into the, ministry, the mission, the, too many M words, ministry mission, the message this morning, so if anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand, we'll make sure you get one. Okay, let's begin today um, in 1 Corinthians 14. As we're moving into chapter 14 of the book of Corinthians today. Oh, and by the way, I have to show you this picture. Because this is Darefield Middle School. This is our first priority club. And there's, <laughs> there's the coder in the front. I'm way in the back. You notice that the farther back you go, the less distorted you look. See, I, I may be old, but I'm not stupid. In any event, those are some of the kids that are in our, uh, our first priority club. Right across, right down the hall, Darefield Middle School. So please keep that in prayer as well. The title of today's message is The Bugle's Indistinct Sound. This is a problem, by the way. The bugle's indistinct sound is supposed to have a distinctive sound to prepare people for battle. But in this case, Paul is using this as an analogy. We'll see what he's comparing it to this morning. All right, let's begin again in our new chapter this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 8 and 9. I'll read it first, and then we'll go through it together. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his own spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men, for edification being built up, for exhortation being challenged, and consolation, and grief. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But the one who prophesies edifies the whole church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will it profit you? What will I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by way of revelation, or knowledge, or prophecy, or of teaching. Yet even lifeless things tell us something. Either a flute, wind instruments, harp, string instruments. In producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, okay, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you. Unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. We have now arrived at chapter 14, the last of three chapters that deal with spiritual gifts. And as we begin today, I'd like to give you once again the high-level outline of these three chapters. First, remember, Paul deals with the relationship of the gifts to one another, that we're all members of the body of Christ, that the spiritual gifts are supposed to work together for the common good, that there's variety, but ultimately there's unity in the spirit. That was chapter 12, the relationship of the gifts to one another in the body of Christ. Chapter 13, which we just finished, teaches about love. It teaches that gifts are useless without love. You can have the most spectacular gift. He he, he even says that you have enough faith to moon mountains. If you speak with tongues of men and angels, but they don't have love, what use is it? And then he also talks about what endures. Ultimately, faith, hope, and love endure. And The greatest of all is love because love is part of the very essence of God and will endure, as we sang this morning, forever. We won't even need faith and hope anymore once we see Jesus, right? At the rapture, we don't have to believe in it, in in the fact of who he is, because we'll see him. We don't have to hope anymore for our great hope, which is the rapture, because it will have happened. And yet love will endure forever. Yet before that point, he tells us, remember in 1 Corinthians 13, that gifts of prophecy will be done away, gifts of knowledge will be done away, and the gift of tongues will cease. All right, page, page three. Number three. Paul teaches that the gift of prophecy is superior to the gift of tongues. That's what we're about to look at in chapter 14. That's his main message, and we're going to see why this is true. All right, we already saw it in, briefly in reading the passage for the first time. But this is what he's teaching. The gift of prophecy is superior to the gift of tongues. No doubt. And that's in chapter 14, verses 1 to 25, which we will be on for the next three weeks or so. Then finally, he gives specific directions. You see, he hasn't done this. He's building up to this, by the way. Remember, this letter is primarily a letter dealing with problems in the the, uh, assembly of Corinth. Some, Some that they wrote to him about. Some that he heard from people who had come to him. And so there's a big problem here when it comes to spiritual gifts in that church at that time. Okay. And what, he had, what he's ultimately building to is very specific directions about how gifts are to be de- employed, orderly, edifying to all when we gather together in the assembly. And that's chapter 14, verses 26 through 40. We'll be there by the by. All right. In chapter 12, remember, just a little review. It tells us that the Holy Spirit has given to each of us a manifestation of the Spirit, some, something supernatural. Now, don't get goofy on me. It doesn't mean that you're going to see angels or you're going to float or anything like that. But mercy, in the way that Christians do it out of love, is supernatural, right? Giving, financially, is not normal, right? I mean, people who have the gift of, 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 of giving do it in such a way that it's above and beyond what everyone, anyone would expect or, 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 or think was proper, even, and so on. We all have been given a manifestation of the Spirit, but in each and every case, remember, it's to contribute not to our glory, not to our building up ourselves, but for the common good. The common good. In chapter 13, we saw that love is the key. Notice he's teaching more. He's teaching a lot. Before he ever gets to dealing with the problem in Corinth, That the last part of chapter 14, he is dealing a ton of teaching here. He's now in chapter 13 teaching that love is the key to understanding the spiritual gifts. Some people think that chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts, and then he sort of takes a break, and he says, "Now I want to teach about love, which has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. Then back in 14, that's not it at all. Love is the key. It's the heart of the matter when it comes to the spiritual gifts, the key to understanding what they are and how they operate. If not done in love, even the most spectacular gift, the most gifted preacher whatever it might be the richest giver it doesn't it is nothing without love then we learned that gifts of prophecy and knowledge will be done away by the arrival of the perfect we saw that while the gift of tongues will stop by itself in other words prophecy and knowledge will be done away because something else comes on the scene and that agent puts an end to prophecy and tongue prophecy and knowledge is the perfect And the gift of tongues will stop, on the other hand, all by itself. There's nothing that comes in and replaces it. And at a certain point in time, it stops. We saw that. Now, we also saw that word perfect. Again, I want to repeat. It refers to the complete set of Paul's epistles. Why? Because Paul revealed things that had never been revealed before. And when he's done, all of the mysteries related to Christ and his church have been revealed to the church. You can check me out on this, but in the, in the remaining letters after Paul, there's nothing new in the sense of what hasn't been said before in those letters. They're, they're to encourage, they're to correct, they're to edify. But in terms of the new revelation for the church, those appear in Paul's letters. And so when those are done, that's the perfect compilation of the material that the Lord wanted to reveal to the church. So that's the perfect. Paul reveals the mysteries of Christ and his body, the church, that he is the head, and we are the body, that we are in him, and that he is in us, that we are the fullness of Christ in this world, and that actually the, that the God is using the church to broadcast to the principalities and powers what he wants them to understand about what he has done in the church. So once Paul writes his last epistles, the prison epistles, there wasn't any further need for prophecy or knowledge because it's all contained now. No further revelation about the mysteries of Christ and his church is given after those prison epistles were written. What does that mean? Well, it means by the time Paul finished writing 2 Timothy, his last letter, the temporary gifts of knowledge and prophecy were done away. And this occurred, remember, sometime between the end of Acts. See, the writing of Paul, writings of Paul go beyond the time period of the book of Acts. We saw that. We saw that during the time period of the book of Acts, uh, this is the Greek that was talked about in terms of knowledge was gnosis, remember? After the book of Acts, the letters written afterwards, the prison epistles, the, the word is epinosis, full knowledge, all right? knowledge that reveals. And so that's what um, we see at the end of the Acts period, sometime between that, 60 AD, and of course when Paul dies. Once he dies, he can't write any more letters, I'm not a genius, but I know that much. So it's sometime between 60 A.D. and 65 A.D., probably closer to 65 A.D. Now, you might be wondering, and some of you have, well, what about tongues? Well, we didn't determine in chapter 13 when tongues would cease of its own accord. You know why? Because we need material in chapter 14 to figure that out. We'll get there pretty soon, so hang on to that question. We'll see what that's all about. Okay. With that review, we're now going to start, we're going to dive into chapter 14. And I'm going to first briefly point out a couple of things that I want you to know first. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Let's read it again together. Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. By the way, pursue love is what we do. We had to strive and, and, and actually in our lives do it, right? Pursue love. Desiring something, see, we're passive. We're just waiting for the Lord to provide something to us. We desire that. It's up to the Lord what he provides. Yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why? For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. In his spirit. Notice, not his mind, but his spirit. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, building up, for exhortation, encouragement, and challenge, and consolation, mercy in times of trouble. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. I mean, think about it. We've already learned in verse 2 that, that a person who speaks in tongues doesn't speak to men. So how can he be edifying other people when he doesn't talk to them? He only edifies himself. Because it's in his particular spirit that he's, that he's speaking mysteries. One who prophesies... I'm sorry, one who speaks in tongues, verse 4, edifies himself, builds himself up. But one who prophesies edifies the church, builds up all of us gathered together. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. The first verse of chapter 14 Ties together where we've already been, 12 and 13. Pursue love, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Okay, why does that connect chapters 12 and 13 with chapter 14? Well, if you recall, chapter 13 ends with the declaration that love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. Since that is so, at the end of 13, we're to pursue it. That's the beginning of fourteen. So there's a direct connection there. That's important to understand. In no way is chapter thirteen set all by itself with nothing to do with spiritual gifts, as some teach. It's tightly connected. Okay. He says, "Listen, the love is the greatest. Therefore, you should pursue it." How did chapter twelve end? Please turn to First Corinthians twelve thirty-one. The end of chapter 12. We've already seen that chapter 13 rolls right along into chapter 14 with the subject of love. How about verse 12? How does the first verse of chapter 14 bring in chapter 12 with chapter 14? Let us see this. But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Actually, this verse in chapter 12 ties in with chapter 13 and chapter 14. Why? Because at the end, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. And we saw that. What's the more excellent way? Love, right. Love is the more excellent way. Exactly. So he he ends, you know, chapter 12 with talking about love. And, of course, he begins chapter 14 with talking about love. So they're connected that way. But also, in, it says here in chapter 12, verse 31, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Hmm. What's the greater gift? Tongues or prophecy? Prophecy, right. So again, talking about the fact that we had to earnestly desire the greater gifts, and then we saw we should, in chapter 14, verse 1, we used to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So to the end of chapter 12, right into chapter 14 as well, they're all linked together. That's what I wanted you to see. And it's interesting because it goes in the order of greatest spiritual gifts and love. And then love and the greater gift. Okay, um, I'm going I'm to really impress you on that. There, there's actually a, there's a rhetorical device where that was used a lot in the ancient world where so much was spoken and people didn't have bibles that they had one you know parchment a uh, set of parchments that had the letter of 1 Corinthians those were treasured but they also needed to hear it and then you know be able to speak it themselves and so this this idea of saying something saying a second something saying the second something a second time and saying the first thing a second time yeah ask not john kennedy what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country. See, you remember that. Why? Because it's in this pattern. That's one of the reasons why. All right. Anyway, it's not an English class, but I wanted to point that out to you. All right, back to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Go back. That's where we'll be for the most part for the rest of this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We'll see why. Why did Paul want the congregation to earnestly desire the greatest spiritual gift of prophecy? Why, why should they desire that greatly? Well, we'll see what that's all about. But it has to do with one word, edification. That was the way in which they would be built up. That's the way in which they would grow. Remember, the Bible hasn't been finished yet. And God used back then prophets to declare his word to the people before it was all written down. All right. And so that's how they grew at that point in time, by hearing what the prophets had to say. Verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his own spirit he speaks mysteries. By the way, even to himself. But one who prophesies speaks to men. For edification, exhortation, consolation. All of chapter 3, all right? is really contrasting the gift of tongues with the gift of prophecy. We see that here in verses 2 and 3. He talks about tongues, and he says, really a kind of negative thing, they're very limiting, there's a very limited thing that tongues does. It speaks to an individual man who's, who's, who's speaking themselves, but, he, and God, so it's kind of like prayer, but it's private prayer, which is important, we all should do it. But in terms of building up and displaying love, well, no one understands what he's saying. When he comes into the congregation and starts talking in this in a way in which nobody can understand it. You know? Probably you say, well, you're like that, Pastor, too. Sometimes you say something, I don't understand it either. We'll get to that. But for now, we're talking about the gift of tongues. All right. So he can contrast tongues with prophecy. Chapter 14, again, is primarily about the gift of tongues and its limitations. That tells us something. It tells us that the problem in Corinth was the fact that they, they were all into the gifts of tongues. By the way, a lot of people are like that. You know, you go to, like, here's a church, and I got to sit there and learn, and I got to listen, and these seats are kind of uncomfortable. And then if come, go along and somebody says, hey, listen, everybody, let's just speak in tongues. And, and you're feeling great at the end. It's spectacular. You're like, well, wow, look at that. I've never seen that before. So it's spectacular. So they gravitated. The more carnal, if I could use that word, the more fleshly the babes in Christ were really impressed with that. But Paul says, listen, that's very limited. <laughs> it's incredibly limited. After all, it only builds you up, first of all. It doesn't build up the rest of the congregation. And so it's a limited. He's going to limit it. He's going to kind of bring it down to size. They have blown it way out of proportion. He's going to put it in its rightful place. And it's a very limited place. Okay. Now, also in chapter 14, Paul makes clear. He says, here's my criterion for determining which gift was superior. You might wonder. He says, he just declares that, that prophecy is better, greater. The, the one who prophesies greater than the one who speaks in tongues. You might ask the question, on oh, what basis How does he make that determination? He makes it clear. He makes it plain. How he's going to determine which gift was superior. And it's real simple. Which gift does a better job of building up or edifying the church? Remember, the gifts are given not for your private good, but for what? The common good, right? So whatever gift does a better job of building up or edifying the entire congregation is superior Right? It's objectively superior than the one who speaks in tongues. That's how he, uses the, that's how he measures that. All right? Now, we also knew from chapter 13 that love is the greatest. And if you ask yourself a question, when it talks about love for one another, which does a better job, tongues or prophecy? Prophecy, why? Because you're not thinking just about yourself, you're thinking about everybody. And you're using a gift for others, not for yourself. That's love, right? acting on behalf of others without consideration of your agenda. That's that's it's all, not tongues, because it's all about you, but prophecy is all about the congregation. So again, at the risk of repeating myself too much, which I like to do, the purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up, edify the church. That's Paul's measuring stick for determining which gift was superior. Tongues, he says, well, that's got a narrow amount of building up the church, if any. Prophecy, right? God's revelation, so all can understand. It's so important that if you note here at the beginning of chapter 14, he repeats that three times in three verses. Let's see it. Verse verse 3 of chapter 14. But one who prophesies speaks to men for what? Edification, building up and exhortation and consolation. Verse 4, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies, what? Edifies the church. You see, he's focused on building up and edifying the church. That's his focus. By the way, that will be his focus also in the book of Ephesians. If you want to read another book, the most amazing book about the church, that's the one. And even there, he says, you know, the gifts are for the building up of the body in love. Right? That's what he's interested in. Edifying the church, verse 5. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets. Why? So that the church may receive. There's the word again. Edifying. So that's, that's his criteria. That's what he's interested in. That's what he wants to see flowing out of the spiritual gifts, by the way, that they had. He was, he, they, were, they were really rich in spiritual gifts in this church at that time. Right? But he wants it to be edifying the church, not edifying a person only, themselves, or causing clicks to happen, I'm better than you because I speak in tongues and you don't, and so forth. His goal is for the church to be edified, to be built up, for you to hear things from God's word that will build you up and challenge you and console you. That's, that's what Paul is interested in. By the way, that goes for the other spiritual gifts too. That's what he's interested in. If you have the gift of helps, well, helps helps the church. If you have the gift of mercy, it's just not supposed to be a private thing where you have mercy for a couple of people. It's something you want to do in, on behalf of the whole church and so forth. All of them are like that. Administration? Well, imagine if you had, somebody had the gift of administration and all they do was boss themselves around. Come on, that was supposed to be fun. That's not going to help, right? The church as a whole. But if you stand up and become a leader, that helps the church as a whole. By the way, he will, he will point this thing out three more You think I repeat? He points the same thing out six times in chapter 14. In addition to what we've already seen, again in verse 12, again in verse 17, and again in verse 26. For example, please turn to 1 Corinthians 14. 14. I don't need to turn, most of you, because it's probably on the same page. There's only five verses after the end of what we were reading. I want you to see that he, he repeats. He brings this point out again. He'll say a few things about tongues and prophecy and come right back to edification. He'll do that several more times. For example, 1 Corinthians 14, 14. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, they really want them, they really wanted them, they really wanted them, and that's fine. That's good. You're zealous of spiritual gifts. Well, seek to abound for the edification of the church. See it? Again, he repeats it. He repeats it, Repeat Why? Because he wants to make sure people kind of retrack from where they were with using it to build up yourself, using it to create this between the different groups and so forth. He says, throw that away, put that aside, and now come and renew your mind to this. What? Edifying the church. That's the focus. Building up and edifying the church. And let me say, it's not building up and edifying your neighbor, okay, in the sense of if they're, if they're an unbeliever, That's really not the main focus of spiritual gifts, all right? It's for the church, right? You might be shocked about that. A lot of people think that, well, I can just go and use my gift on my own. I can use it at work. I can use it there. I don't really have to gather together. Wrong. (laughs) The whole purpose of the gifts is to build up, not the world, but the church, Christ's body. So keep that in mind. That's why he says it six times in chapter 14. Seek to abound for the edification of the church, of the church. Well, He's got something in mind here that he's building up to. The issue, of course, ultimately, is going to be the way that Corinthian church handles tongues in their worship service. That's what he's building up to. That's what we'll talk about at the end of chapter 14. But let's see how he builds. First of all, he teaches. Now, this is common for Paul. We've seen this in many of the letters. In the book of Ephesians, we've seen this. We saw it in the book of Romans. And what I mean by that is this. Teach first, exhort second. Teach first, exhort second. Have your mind renewed, and then come on out of it and see what that means about how you're supposed to live. Only Paul uses three different ways of teaching in chapter 14 before he gets to the application. The first one is direct teaching. Clear and direct on the the subject of tongues by contrasting it with prophecy. That's what we've read already. One who prophesies speaks to men for edification. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. That's clear, direct teaching. That's the first way, verses 1 to 5. Now, second, he's going to teach by way of analogy. That's how a lot of people learn. There's something you know. And he points to that first to say, you know, I, you, you've heard a, a bugle call the soldiers to war. You, you, you've been in, to a place where they've been playing flutes and playing stringed instruments. And you know that, that there's a way to play those instruments so that nobody gets anything out of it. I'll talk about that in a minute. So they knew these things. They were, they were familiar with that. And he's going to port that over to what they're clearly not familiar with, or at least not practicing. Okay, It's just the superiority of of Prophecy. He compares uninterpreted tongues to three things musical instruments, giving you a bunch of them there. We even have the harp, the guitars, the violas, violins, and bass, the clarinet, saxophone. Maybe that's where's the flute? Oh come on, I think that's the flute. Flute, Barry sax. Those are all instruments. Now there's a way in which those could be played to really have beauty and meaning. There's also a way in which those can be played so that you have nothing but noise. If you've ever had a child begin to practice a musical instrument, you know what I mean. All right. Then he talks about the bugle. In the end, we'll talk about this in a minute. But the bugle is supposed to use, be used for battle, to command the soldiers. And he's going to say what happens when that that is not a distinct sound at all. What happens to the to the military? What happens to the soldiers in the fields? And then the third thing is think about two people who each speak different languages only, and they're trying to communicate. Right? He says the first one will be a ba bab 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 barbarian to the second, and the second one will be a ba bab bab bab. Ba. That's where the word barbarian comes from, by the way, It's from the sound, you know. And, when the, when the Jews and the Romans heard the Gentiles out there in the hinterlands and they were talking to each other, it just sounded like bop, 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 Just like music, if it's like not played correctly, is a ca 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 Yeah, there's a fancy word for that, but we we'll won't get into that right now. Third, then he, not only does he I'll give you an analogy, but then he's going to apply it to the assembly in a general way. He's going to say, Here's what you've learned about tongues and prophecy. You'll learn that prophecy is a superior gift. You've learned that you can have a bugle that can make a direct, distinct sound that everybody in the field understands. But if you get the wrong bugle player, he's going to make a bunch of noise that nobody understands. Then here, he takes all of that that, that he hopes they've learned, and he says, Here's what that looks like in the assembly. That's verses 13 to 25. And then finally, He gives specific instructions. He says, now that you've seen this directly, now that you've seen this by way of analogy, now you can see how it's supposed to work in the local assembly, now I'm going to address the problem head on, and I'm going to give you specific instructions about how you going forward should conduct your worship services, and in particular, how the tongues, speakers, and the prophets should behave in the congregation. And that's verses 26 to 39. Okay. A lot of outlining this morning. You're used to that, right? When we get to a new chapter or a new section, first thing I want you to see is the big picture. You might want to refer to that in your notes or go on our website. Every message that we have here is ported over to the website. You can see these slides on that. You can also, if you want, listen to the message again. So I would encourage that, especially with outlining, because it helps you structure your thinking. That, that any letter that we go to isn't just a bunch of information, right? But it's clearly dis- organized. And there's a reason why it is. There's a reason why Paul is not going to just teach here with the Corinthians, but because they're baby believers, he's going to teach it three ways. And then he's going to make, make the directions that he wants them to adhere to. I, want you to. I want to point out something. In that time, we'll get to tongues ceasing by the by, but in that time, when he's critiquing the gift of tongues... He's not critiquing it generally, but specifically when the church gathers for worship. That's where he's dealing with it. He's saying when the church gathers for worship, we ought to be able to understand the message that's being being delivered. I want you to make sure you understand that. That's why that's in bold. His whole focus is on the church gathering for worship that be built up and edified there. And so he will critique tongues with that in mind. What about tongues when when the church assembles? How does it work there? Because Paul doesn't have a problem. Now, again, in the first century, at the time in which he wrote to the the people in Corinth, when tongues were still a gift that was active and operating, he had no problem with the gift, per se. After all, he's going to state later on that he speaks in tongues more than anybody in the church. Now, that tells you that, you know, at that time, tongues were operating, and he saw that as a way in which to communicate and to pray, it's, it, was, it had this unique thing of touching your spirit. That's what it was used for. But, of course, when it's in the, in the congregation, it's pretty much useless, unless somebody can interpret what they're saying. It's funny that he said that back then he spoke in tongues more than anyone in the church. And I think back to chapter 1, he said, thank God I didn't baptize anybody. It's kind of interesting, you know, if you think about baptism, even versus tongues, or more generally spiritual gifts, or prayer. No, he has a problem with uninterpreted tongues in public worship. That's his issue here. Uninterpreted tongues in public worship. Why? Because if they're not interpreted, no one can understand the thing. And, and from what I know, and I don't know that much, um, I know that now, today, when people still try to do that, speaking in tongues today, especially there's some worship service where they all do it at the same time. It's not a pleasant sound. I'll say that much. But in any event, the issue is building up, building up, building up. He wants to make sure that everyone understands what people are saying in the congregation. And if tongues aren't interpreted, no one can understand a thing about what the tongue speakers are thinking. Of saying rather. Let's let's see First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse four, and verse five. We've already read this a couple of times, but we're gonna move into this and see. Verse five. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Now again, you don't have a problem with tongues per se in that time period. Why? Well, it's a private gift. And by the way, we we edify ourselves we should, you know, when you, when, you, when you read the Bible, especially if you're reading certain places, if you go to a psalm for consolation, you're praying to God on your own, that's perfectly fine. You're building yourself up. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's everything wrong with it when it's ported over into the public assembly and you're still saying, what's in it for me? You're not supposed to say that here. You're supposed to say something else. All right, so now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. Again, verse 4, I mean verse 5, Paul makes it clear that the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Now when he says greater, he's not saying you're a better person, but he's saying that that gift functioning through you is greater than the gift of tongues functioning in, in, in that person as well. Why? Come on. Edification. Right. Remember back in, go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 7. When we first were studying spiritual gifts at the beginning of these three chapters, what did we see in verse 7? 1 Corinthians 12:7. He's going to talk about the purpose. The whole purpose. Why does the Holy Spirit have this variety of gifts? He's given each one of us a manifestation of the Spirit. And here's what some of them are. Why? Well, we learn why in verse 7 of chapter 12. But to each one, by the way, everybody receives a spiritual gift. It's not just some of the special people or gifted people. It's not just the communicators. It's everybody. You have received the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Say it with me. For the common good. What's the purpose of spiritual gifts? For the common good. All right. Back to chapter 14. Chapter 14, again, let's start with verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit, in his innermost being, he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. You know, something here, like the times when you have a sort of a, a, something that you realize on your own, and it's about your life, be careful about then making that a big deal with everybody. Right? Because that's, that's fine, that's your personal Growth or being built up or prayer, okay? And that, but that might be pretty subjective. It might be emotional. But when you try to communicate that to everybody, it's often people, I don't, I don't really know what you're getting at here. Because it was for you privately. It wasn't for everybody, okay? So he says, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands. But in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men. Directly, for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. One who prophesies builds up the church. All right, let me, let me now repeat, but just so you understand the point. The gift of tongues here in 1 Corinthians 14 was a private gift. Now, why would I take pains to put here in 1 Corinthians 14? Think about this. Why would I say the gift of tongues here was a private gift? Because there's a there where it's a public gift. And we're going to get to that. But in Acts chapter 2, wasn't the gift of tongues a public gift? Weren't the apostles speaking not to the air, not gibberish, but so that each one heard it in their own language? That's public. That's building up and edifying, preaching the gospel in this case. That's a different gift than the, spirit, the gift of tongues in chapter 14. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that. The gift of tongues here in 1 Corinthians 14 was a private gift. person speaking in tongues spoke to God. No one could understand him. On the other hand, the one who prophesied spoke to men. I am just repeating the passage, but so I want you to see it in these buckets. He speaks to men, those who prophesied, for their edification and exhortation and encouragement. It had something for everybody, so to speak. One who spoke in tongues edified himself. One who's prophesied edified the church. He's contrasting the two of them. Okay? Tongues builds up yourself. Prophecy builds up the church. Therefore, prophecy is the greater gift does a much better job at edifying others. It works for the common good. In that way, it is more loving of others than tongues. And with that, by verse 5, Paul's now finished with his direct teaching on the contrast between tongues and prophecy. Where does he go next? He provides three analogies that the saints grasp the main point. He says, you may not have, you may not have gotten all of it when he talked directly so now I'm going to talk about analogies. You know? I, want to, I want to relate this to that. Jesus Christ, when he did his parables, the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is like right, a man sowing seed in his field. Well, they all understood agricultural things like sowing seed and you know, reaping and all of that. They got that, and he ports that over to something they knew nothing about, which was the kingdom of heaven. So, so Paul is not alone in teaching with analogy. Real simple thing now. Now he's going to talk about what's understandable and what isn't. What's intelligible and what isn't. That's going to be the three analogies. This one, nobody can, can get anything out of that sound. But over here, people get a lot out of this sound. Okay? He's going to use different things. He's going to, but it basically is one point. The difference between sounds with meaning and sounds that nobody can understand. Pretty clearly you see the map. Sounds with meaning lines up with what gift? Come on, come on, come on. You're all awake. If you need more coffee, I can I can get Jang to bring more in. I'll give you all a cup, you know, for the last 20 minutes. Yeah. So the, the ones with meaning, that's that lines up with prophecy. The sounds that are unintelligible nobody understands lines up with the gift of beautiful. All right, we'll cover the first two analogies this morning. We'll begin with the third one next Sunday. Look at verse six now, First Corinthians 14:6. "But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation? I reveal new things to you, of knowledge. I put it together for you, of prophecy and of teaching. Now here's the analogies. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, this is about sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? But one who prophesies, I'm sorry, that's the wrong one. Where's my notes? There it is. For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, they know the bugle's being played. They don't have any idea. Wait a minute, which one is that? Should we attack? Should we retreat? I can't really tell. It's an indistinct sound. That guy doesn't know how to play the bugle. Who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. I like it in verse 6. He begins by addressing the saints as his brothers and sisters. Right? They should always be careful when he does that. Why? Because he's about to hammer them on something. He's about to really challenge them, to criticize. So he always softens the blow. He says, no matter what I'm about to say, it will never change that we're family. okay? But brethren. The saints, he says, will gain nothing. Think of it. If Paul was planning to visit them again, he says, listen, if I come to you the next time and I just speak in tongues, I shouldn't have bothered coming. Right? Because you can't understand anything if I do that. I'm here as an apostle to deliver you the message from God in a way that you can understand if I speak in tongues that's not happening. That's what he's saying. Verse 7, yet even lifeless things, whether flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? When a kid first begins to practice an instrument, learn it, they'll usually learn One note. So they can at least make a sound like I was a sax player, so they can figure out how to use the reed or you can you know the mouthpiece or the string, or the bow or whatever, just one sound over and over and over again dun, 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 right how, how beautiful is that? you know after a while,'re like, I get it, you play C fantastically now, how about D and E for a while? Maybe you can play jingle bells or something like that all right. So that's what he's talking. Distinction in tones means melody, right? And certain melodies give you a different mood. They give you—they communicate something different. If you don't think so, what I'd like you to do next time is to watch a movie without. Oh, you can't really do this, but think about watching a movie without the soundtrack. Think about that. You know, the, there's certain things about the music that present information and meaning. You know, all of a sudden, this, everything's. And you say, "Uh "Uh-oh, something bad is about to happen!" Right? Music with meaning, okay? Harmony and melody, but random noises. Oops, where am I? There we are. Random noises being emitted from a musical instrument. Picture it. Random noises. That's nothing but a cacophony. By the way, you might wonder what cacophony means. It's another sound meaning, yeah, it means a mishmash of unpleasant sounds, often at loud volume. Again, think about what you'd hear if you gave musical, musical instruments to a group of four-year-old kids, and then you said, please play one of Beethoven's symphonies for me. Ooh, is right. Oh, by the way, you know, I I was thinking about this, and I'll bet if Paul came to us here in the year 2020 and turned on the radio with the current hits, I think he would clarify most of that stuff as cacophony. I know I'm hurting some of you people out there, but come on, really. You know, there's a lot of music out there today that really is one note over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, that's not very pleasant. There's no melody, there's no harmony. If you've ever attended a symphony, and I guess are those still around today, I don't really know, but if you got there a little early, you would hear the orchestra warming up. It would be a cacophony, because everybody's playing their old thing. There's one note that they have trouble with, and they're going to play it over and over again, and, you, and it's cacophony. However, once the conductor comes and begins to signal the orchestra to play, you hear beautiful sounds that will move you sometimes to tears. Verse 8, for if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? See, in the time that Paul wrote, generals would issue their commands to the troops in the field using bugle calls. They don't do that. Bugle calls today are more ceremonial. We'll get to that. But in that day and age, they were critical as sending messages to the troops. I mean, it's weird. Today, some, some general in Miami can press a button and then a thousand miles away, you know, something will happen. Well, that wasn't like that. In the first century A.D. They used bugles instead. There were several different bugle calls. Each one represented a different command from the lead officer. For example, one might be the call to attack. We're in position now, attack the enemy. Then it doesn't go too well. And they're getting you know, mowed down. And then there's another very different bugle command that says, retreat, get out of there. By the way, again, today, the the army uses bugle calls today. There's something called reveille. Right? That's in the morning. Wake up, wake up, wake up. But then there's taps. Very different, right? You get it. See, one is very pumped up, and the other, it's, it's very rapid. You've got eighth notes, sixteenth notes, and it's, okay, I'm waking up. Oh, where's the mess where's the hall? The other one was used at the end of the day, and also maybe you're familiar with it from funerals for v- veterans, right? It's kind of their last send-off. But imagine at a bugler at the key moment playing random sounds, like we talked about. By the way, if that were back then... It would be a disaster for the army. Imagine if they like didn't make it up. Well, that kind of though sounds sort of like attack. And you know, We're here, we're getting, we're getting decimated, but I guess he wants us to attack. Okay. Disaster. So it matters. He's saying, listen, verse 9. So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. It, if I would have turned to Ephesians 6, right, and didn't tell you where I was, and I started teaching, and I, I was at my pulpit, and I was, wanted to communicate a really um, important thing about the fact that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Well, imagine this. Imagine if I started each sentence in French. Now, some of you might say, well, I know French. Well, okay, hold on. And then in mid-sentence, I changed to Spanish. And then at the end of that sentence, I was speaking Swahili. How much meaning would you get? Very, very little. Would you leave that day with any understanding of Ephesians 6, 10 to 6? No. You know, you'd look around and say, wait a minute, who was he speaking to? What was that? He must have been speaking to the ceiling. <laughs> or or here, yeah, what Paul says, in the air. He's speaking in the air. Nobody understands what he's saying. Now, wrapping up, and you might be saying, wait a minute, Pastor John, why should I care about this? The Bible says tongues cease. Prophecy was done away when Paul finished writing Second Timothy. That's great that you've given us a nice little history of the church in the first century, but that's got nothing to do with the church today. Wrong. You see, well, for one thing, we definitely still have pastors who try to impress their congregations by talking over their heads. You know, using all these fancy words like ultra-infra-lapsarianism, or whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah, talking over their heads. is as if they were speaking a foreign language because kind of like you are, you know. If you're, if you're preaching to a bunch of farmers and you're using all these fancy words, they're, not, they're not going to be like impressed with you, but they're not going to be built up at all. So we have that today. Again, we have pastors today that, whoops. We all, let me give you a couple other examples first. There are many Christians today who go to church to get some private benefit to church. You know how it is. God spoke to me today. Spoke to me. Or I got nothing out of the message today. We We pastors love to hear that. You know, you're blood, sweat, and tears all week. You're up there preaching. And then they say, I got nothing out of the message today. I would say, well, get the wax out of your ears then. In any event. No, too many people today go to church to get their ears tickled. They want preachers that will do nothing but tell them what they want to hear. Live your best life now. Is that in the Bible, by the way? Is that the example of the cross? Get everything out of life you can? No. God desires for you to become fabulously wealthy. Now, Who wouldn't like to hear that? Man, you keep saying that, and they talk to their friends and saying, come on, you can be a Christian and be fabulously wealthy. Oh, I want to hear about that, and all of a sudden you got a megachurch on your hands. Shh, what who? No, I'm just kidding. no, it's fine. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. It's fine. Yep. Well, how about this one? Sow a seed to me, and God will heal you of all your ailments. Who doesn't want their ailments healed this morning? Raise your hand if you don't want them. Oh, come on, James. I would love it. I got some things going on. I would love it if I could just throw 50 bucks in a bucket and then I'm magically healed, you know. But those are charlatans who teach that. Here's the bottom line. We're going to leave you with this today. When We gather together as one body to worship the Lord like we are right now, worship Him in prayer, worship Him in song, in the preaching of God's Word. When that's what we are gathered to do, Here's a question. Do we come to receive some private benefit or blessing? What I get out of the message today? Or do we come to build up, encourage, and console one another? This is the meaning of the assembling together as saints. That's why we shouldn't forsake the assembling. Okay? Certainly you can get meaning yourself by sitting at a computer and getting the message. But it's really hard when you do. Now, some people have no choice. Please don't, me but a lot of people do have a choice, okay? Because that's not going to happen, right? It's, it's really so important that we gather together and see one another and maybe come to a prayer, prayer service on Thursday to understand what people are going through or to actually talk to people and look them in the eye and you can get a sense, right? That, that you understand sometimes that there are people that need to be built up by a message that maybe you've heard five times in, in 25 years. But we're here for one another. Somebody says, I don't really understand that. You bring them aside and show them in a more, more excellent way and you tell them things like, listen, I get, you know, you'll understand more of this over time, but I hope you got the love part. Things like that, building up and encouraging one another. That's why we are to come together. to Build one another up, to encourage one another, and to console one another. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again today for this portion of the Word of God that teaches us, challenges us, that, that brings things that were first written in the first century right into our hearts today. To so understand that love is primary, that we are to gather together to build one another up. That's, that is something that's just as relevant today as it was in the first century. And Father, we want to thank you again for Jesus Christ our Lord. We just uh, ask now, Father, that we would continue to pursue love. We would continue to realize that your word is alive and powerful. And we also ask this morning, Father, that the Spirit may make it clear when one among us has a need that we can fulfill, that they would give us a kick in the pants so that we go ahead and act on it. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. All right, a couple of reminders, remember. We'll gather together again on Thursday at 7. That's when we have informal Bible study, you know, one another building up. And then we have a prayer service after that. All right, so it is a really, um, it is a great way in which we together build one another up and pray for those in need. We don't pass, you know, a bucket around or anything like that For for giving. We don't do that. Because then there's a more, there could be wrong motivation, pressure. You know how it is. You know People sit in the back so no one can see that they're not putting anything in the, you know. It's horrible. It's wrong. Or people publish the biggest givers as if that's what God is looking for. No, we don't do that, okay? We believe it is a matter between you and the Lord that as you've received, so you give, and the Lord will provide extra so that you'll be able to use it and then he's looking for what? A cheerful giver. He's looking for you and your heart to freely want to support the ministry, one another, whatever it is, okay? It should be freely given. All right. As we leave today, we're going to have a short meeting in about 10 minutes on outreach today. But the heart of outreach, after all, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every one of us needs to hear it again and again and again so that we remain sharp on what it is and what it isn't. The gospel of Jesus Christ is straightforward. It's the fact that every human being is born a sinner. We all commit sins. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And if nothing happens, we would be judged and sent to the lake of fire. Every human being. But God isn't willing that any perish. God so loved the whole world, every human being ever, that he took action out of that love he gave us. His one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us. Jesus Christ died. He was buried. And on the third day, He rose again. So that whoever simply believes in Him will never perish, but have eternal life. That, my friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news, and it's simple for somebody to respond. By the way, the Holy Spirit will walk you through it. And, and, and give you the opening, and actually help you, the Bible says, to actually, to actually be able to believe. You know, a lot of people are naturally skeptical, so they may have a tougher time. If it's just left to them, they may never believe. But God, the Holy Spirit, gives them the gift of being able to believe so that they step into that and actually believe. But there's nothing simpler than that. No works, no repenting of all your sins, no, none of that. None of that. I'm not good enough. I've got to prepare more. I've got to do something. I've got to get baptized first. Or I've got to walk down an aisle. None of that. Simply believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for gathering us together as saints, members of the body of Christ, as family. We thank you, Father, that over and over again in your word, you exhort us to take care of one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, be patient with one another, build up one another, console one another, again and again and again in your word. And, Father, help us to get it. Help us to understand that these aren't just things to put on a bumper sticker, but more important than that, much more important than that, things to have in our heart that we then live according to. Help us, Father, to live according to what we have heard in your word. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Again, brief outreach today. Other than that, we're getting together on Thursday.